cannabis is legal in Canada. And everybody should come to Canada and enjoy our cannabis. It's an exciting development that will end almost 100 years of the criminalization of marijuana. Who else gets to make history like this? We just did it. We finally did it. Cannabis is now legal in Canada. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Historic happened on October 17th, 2018. Job done. Cannabis was legalized in Canada. How do you feel now? I feel great. The stigma ends tonight. Prohibition has ended right now. We just made history. Who else gets to make history like this? We just did it. We finally did it. All the years of activism have paid off in this one single epic moment. The first store to open was in St. John's, Newfoundland. And the very first person to buy legal marijuana was a guy named Ian Power. My name is Ian Power. I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland, born and bred. I like to call myself a canosaur. And that's what I'll be known from from now on for the rest of my days. I'm a canosaur, not a, you know, stupid stoner that everybody said. What are you going to do with this first frame? I'm going to frame it and hang it on my wall. I'm not even going to smoke it. I'm going to save it forever. It's going to be vacuum sealed and put on the wall with a plaque that says tonight's date. And underneath says, we won. Then later in the day, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodall said that people who have simple pot possession convictions can be pardoned. I am announcing that the government of Canada intends to present legislation which, when enacted, will allow these individuals to apply for a pardon as long as they have completed their sentence. There will be no further waiting period and no fee. But how did we get here? When was pot made illegal in the first place? And why? It's an exciting development that will end almost 100 years of the criminalization of marijuana. Catherine Carstairs is the department chair and professor of history at the University of Guelph. Cannabis gets added to the schedule of restricted drugs in Canada in 1923. So this is at a time of enormous change in Canada's drug laws. The first drug law had passed in 1908, and it was directed solely at opium. Um, in 1911, cocaine and other opiates were added to the drug legislation. And then in um, 1923, along with a number of other changes that had happened in the early 1920s to increase the severity of the penalties, cannabis also gets added to the schedule of, of drugs that are prohibited from use. I'm trying to picture what Canada was like at that time in 1923. Was there, you know, a big problem with with people smoking weed and unable to function at their jobs or in daily life? Was there a big marijuana crisis in Canada back in 1923 where it needed to be illegal? Absolutely not. There was, as far as we know, almost no marijuana use in Canada back in 1923. There was considerable concern about other types of drug use, a lot of concern about morphine use, about cocaine use, about opium use. And this is what had precipitated all of the new sort of drug laws that had passed in the early 1920s. There was also enormous concern about the vulnerability of returned soldiers, many of whom were experiencing problems with what we would now call PTSD, but 
was then called shell shock. And a lot of them seemed to be experiencing problems with alcohol or with other drugs. So that was part of what precipitated the concern. There was also an enormous campaign at the time against Chinese immigration to Canada. So the railway had been completed back in 1885. And then you'd had gotten the uh, Chinese head tax had been put in place. Um, But there were a lot of people who felt that that was not enough. And so especially in the Western provinces, there was an enormous campaign to abolish Chinese immigration altogether. And uh, the Chinese were generally blamed for, you know, entirely racist reasons for the drug problem in Canada. So the sort of anti-Chinese campaign went hand in hand with the anti-drug campaign. Um, But the problem at the time was seen to be an opium problem, primarily. And so, yeah, few Canadians would have ever heard of cannabis. Um, What seems to have happened was Canada was playing a leading role in the sort of international movement to prohibit drugs that have a psychotropic effect. So cannabis had come under discussion at some of these international meetings, um, and it was added to the international legislation in 1925. So Canada seems to have acted proactively in 1923 by adding it to its schedule of restricted drugs. They saw that this was likely to happen internationally. And we decided to be a leader in the prohibition of cannabis. Isn't that interesting? So at that point in time, few Canadians even knew what cannabis was, but many Canadians knew that they weren't too keen on immigration and that soldiers they knew had experienced problems with alcohol. So they said, well, we don't really know what this cannabis is. It seems to be a problem elsewhere in the world. We're not too keen on immigration. Let's just ban this stuff anyways. Pretty much. So there was zero debate about adding cannabis to the schedule in the House of Commons. There's very little documentation left in the archives about why the decision was reached. So it seems to have been, oh, you know, we we heard this was a problem internationally. We'll be proactive and add it. And, you know, as it was at that time, you know, Canada was passing new drug laws every year because of the other you know reasons I mentioned, this sort of concern about about soldiers, the anti-Chinese immigration. Uh, movement. To put a face on perhaps the anti-marijuana movement in Canada, there was a, a woman I was reading about. I think her name was Emily? Emily Murphy, yes. So Emily Murphy was a leading crusader in the anti-drug panic of the early 1920s. And her focus was really on young people who she felt were being corrupted by Chinese opium smokers and Chinese opium sellers. So uh, she was a leading feminist, you know, played an important role in terms of getting women the vote to in, in Canada, played a leading role in the Persons case of 1929. So she did a lot of really valuable work. Um, but in terms of her anti-drug crusade, said it was a highly racist. She's a leading feminist, but also a leading racist. Yes, yes. You know, she she complained that innocent young white women and girls and young men were being entrapped by Chinese opium sellers and they were leading to a life of ruin. Tragic stories of how these young women had been impregnated by Chinese men and given birth to mixed race babies. I mean, it was just appalling, her sort of rhetoric. Um, and she published a series of articles in Maclean's in 1920 that really helped sort of give birth to the anti-drug panic. And then in 1922, she expanded on the articles in a book called The Black Candle. 
And so the book did have one chapter on marijuana in which, you know, it claimed that smokers of marijuana become completely insane. So very similar to the sort of reefer madness sort of stuff that we start to see in the 1930s. And so for a long time, historians said that it was Murphy that had instigated the laws against cannabis in Canada. But I don't think that's believable. The the book actually, although, you know, the articles have gotten a lot of attention, the book doesn't seem to have been a huge bestseller. And it was a very small chapter, sort of at the end of a long book. By this point, the bureaucrats in the Division of Narcotic Control didn't have a lot of respect for Murphy. So I don't think it was that chapter that, you know, resulted in the criminalization of cannabis. I really think the more compelling explanation is Canada's attendance at these international meetings. So when did we reach a point in Canadian history where marijuana became something we warmed up to, we weren't so afraid of anymore? Well, I think it all started to change in the 1960s. So you have a baby boom generation that becomes, you know, in both the United States and Canada, becomes very curious about marijuana and use of marijuana explodes. And, you know, that sort of generation of users really valorize the substance, sort of seeing it as a much more peaceful substance to use than the alcohol that, you know, their parents uh, consumed. They believed it could lead to enlightenment and deeper levels of understanding. Standing. There's a lot of curiosity about the drug. There's a lot of use of it. There's a lot of popular music that is glamorizing the use of marijuana. You have you know, films that are talking about marijuana use. So marijuana use really explodes. But alongside the explosion in use, we also see heavy criminalization. So, I mean, the laws are the same as, you know, had been passed in 1923. But suddenly you have all these middle class young people being arrested for drug offenses. And so not only are these educated young people complaining about the injustices in the law, but often to their parents are saying, oh, well, this doesn't seem right that my child should have to go to jail for six months for the possession of a joint. The parents themselves, even if they weren't marijuana users, were often quite sympathetic to the arguments that were being made. So in 1969, it becomes possible to proceed by summary conviction, which lessens the criminal penalties that most marijuana convictions ended up receiving. And then, of course, in 1972, the Ladane Commission, the Royal Commission on the Non-Medical Use of Drugs, actually recommends the decriminalization of marijuana. And while it takes you know, more than 40 years for that to actually um, come, into, um, come into being with the legalization in 2018, um, I think the Ladane Commission does mark an important turning point in Canada's views towards marijuana use. Wow, that's really interesting. So we've actually been having this conversation for 40-odd years. Yep. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. I mean, obviously, it's not that in 1972, everyone was like rah, rah, you know, marijuana. It takes much longer for Canadians as a whole to come on board to support the idea. And even still, we see that, you know, the substantial Canadians feel anxious about this, about this change. But uh, yeah, 1972 really marks a turning point. And then, you know, we saw in 2003 and 2004, the Liberal governments under Christian and Paul Martin did table legislation that would have decriminalized marijuana, but those bills don't end up getting passed into effect. Well, Catherine, it's been so interesting chatting with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Coming up later in this episode. Trudeau was able to tap in to young people who saw their friends or maybe themselves and had an understanding of the harms of prohibition and how those harms outweighed the potential harms of cannabis. 
You're listening to This Is Why. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So Catherine kind of got us up to speed on the history of why pot was illegal in Canada. But to catch us up on policy from just over the past few years, I called up Daniel Bear on Skype. I'm Daniel Bear. I'm a professor of criminal justice at Humber College, and I've been working in drugs policy uh, in various roles since 2003, including time with Students for Sensible Drugs Policy, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, and then eventually getting my PhD at the London School of Economics. Hey, so I was chatting about how a couple of former prime ministers, uh, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, they both put forward some failed legislation in the early 2000s to try to not legalize marijuana, but decriminalize it. And there is a difference between the two, right? Legalization is when we take a product, in this case cannabis, and we regulate it. We say, okay, we're going to set up laws around how and where and when this can be used, how it can be manufactured. And if you look at cannabis, we've legalized it quite similarly to the legislation we have that controls tobacco. Decriminalization, on the other hand, is a half measure. Decriminalization says we're going to remove the criminal penalties for users. We're going to keep the criminal penalties for producers and distributors. And the problem with decriminalization is that when you leave producers in charge of growing and distributing the product, the illegal producers, they're the ones reaping all the profits. They're the ones getting the benefit of that revenue. And they're not necessarily putting out a safe and well-regulated product for consumers. If we decriminalized and removed criminal penalties from users, we would still allow organized criminal gangs to reap the profits. And what we have here in Canada is, in fact, legalization. And that's why the feds have said that now they'll be offering pardons for people with simple possession charges. That's correct. And I think that that was a really great move that was announced. There was a lot of frustration amongst academics, advocates, really everybody involved in drugs policy that we were seeing legalization, which acknowledges that prohibition has failed. But we had not seen anything that said, and we were wrong to keep doing it for so long. So this is a really good move. My understanding, though, is that this is not expungement of people's records. And so while they may be pardoned, they may still face issues for travel to the United States. But legalization uh, being a politically viable option is fairly recent. And Justin Trudeau made the really smart decision, frankly, of going for full legalization when at the time the NDP called for decriminalization in the 2015 election and the conservatives uh, were hell-bent on maintaining prohibition and, in fact, increasing the severity of drug laws. Like Daniel said, back in the 2015 federal election, all three major political parties took a different stance on marijuana. There was the Tories under Stephen Harper, and they wanted to keep it illegal. Uh, Most Canadians, you actually ask them, do not want the full legalization of marijuana. We just think that's the wrong direction for society, and I don't think that's the way most Canadians want to deal with this particular problem. Then there was the NDP. Remember at the time they were led by Tom Mulcair? Well, they were aiming for decriminalization. But I want to make sure that everybody understands that the NDP's position is decriminalization the minute we form government. It's something we can do right away. And then there was the Libs under Justin Trudeau, who promised legalization. Uh, I have said many, many times it is our intention to stop 
Mr. Harper's failed approach on marijuana. We maintain tough laws against those who traffic in substances who profit off of destroying people's health. And our position on this is control. Mr. Harper's failed approach on marijuana is actually funding criminal organizations, street gangs, and gun runners. There's just overwhelming and growing scientific and medical evidence about the uh, bad long-term effects of marijuana. Tobacco is a product that does a lot of damage. Marijuana is infinitely worse. So the Liberal Party is committed to legalizing and regulating marijuana, controlling it in a way that is going to protect our kids and remove criminal elements from it. And we're going to get started on that right away. Why do you think it was such a smart choice for Trudeau to aim for legalization instead of those other alternatives, either keeping the status quo, criminalization, or decriminalization? Well, I mean, you have to look at who's targeted by drugs laws. When we're looking at the under 25 group, when they get arrested, the majority of the things that they're getting arrested for for drugs are for cannabis. Uh, As you move to later ages, it balances out a bit. But You know, throughout most of the life course, about 50% of drug arrests are for cannabis. And so I think Justin Trudeau was able to tap in to young people who saw their friends or maybe themselves and had an understanding of the harms of prohibition and how those harms outweighed the potential harms of cannabis. And he took the left flank from the NDP on this issue, which really helped get people, young people, out to the polls and, and help in his election victory there. It helped in his election victory back in 2015. Do you think that voters will remember October 17th, 2018, in the next federal election? That's a tough call. I think uh, you know Justin Trudeau has had a really interesting premiership so far. He's fallen short on uh, vote reform, which he had promised. And I know that that seems to have, at least in my Twitter feed, seems to have angered a lot of people. And I think he's done quite well to navigate NAFTA and dealing with Donald Trump. You know, the cannabis legalization is a big deal. I'd like to think that most people are going to be supportive of the move, but I think there's a lot of people who said that this is too restrictive a form of cannabis legalization. It's not what they envisioned. It's not surprising to me as a drugs policy person we went this route, but to a lot of people, they envisioned a far less regulated, far less involvement of the criminal justice system in this legal model. So I don't know. It's going to be a real interesting one to see how he runs on this topic uh, and if cannabis legalization is sort of at the forefront of his message of, you know, look at the good things I've done. Thank you so much, Daniel. It was really interesting chatting with you. Happy to be here. Thanks. Did you know that Canada is just one of two countries in the whole world where marijuana is legal? It's just us and Uruguay. Although, with that said, Canadians are actually still pretty split on whether or not legalization was the right move. On the day that cannabis was legalized here, a survey was released by Forum Research that shows 41% of people are against the legalization. But age definitely plays a factor. Three quarters of people, 34 years old or younger, said legalization was the right move. This is Wise, produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a rating and a review and tell your friends about us as well. We're on Twitter at This Is Why. And you can always send us an email, thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.